Hi, I'm Erin Hartz. Welcome to Grace Plus Boundaries, a weekly memoir in a podcast. I've realized through the past decade of my recovery that I learn the most about emotional maturity through listening to the triumphant stories of others. Are you yearning to unpack the effects of intergenerational trauma in your life? Do you want to stay true to your feelings, yet also learn how to accommodate the sensibilities of your loved ones? I'm dedicated to cracking the code of combining boundary setting with grace towards one another. Educate, evaluate, and evolve. Let's do this together. Hello, hello, podcast listeners. This is Erin Hartz with Self-Care for Survivors of Trauma. Happy Easter. Today's Easter, and it was a busy day. I went to church with my son. We had a great time. I made an apple pie and brought it over to my sister's house for dinner. And we generally had a good time, but it was very overwhelming. Um, But I'm not going to go into that today. I really wanted to talk about... What happens when we hear a bunch of criticism from others? So I know through this journey that I went through a lot of criticism or got a lot of critic got criticized for a lot of things when I was a, a child. And then when I became an adult, all those voices that I used to hear criticizing me became internalized and I started becoming I started doing it to myself. Right, I started expecting perfection from myself instead of even having other people tell me. Like my mom wasn't there anymore criticizing me, but I was there criticizing myself every time I looked in the mirror or every time I ate something that was quote unquote bad, you know, like as in not healthy food or not gonna keep me at a, a good weight or whatever. I would just be criticizing myself all the time. And then Finally, I realized that I was doing that and I tried to stop it. And if you've ever been there, it's very hard to stop. But today I'm going to talk about what happens when we actually do get criticism from others. And I'm talking about the kind of criticism that comes when we're not asking for feedback, that someone just opens up and unloads all over us some criticism that really isn't any of their business but maybe part of it feels truthful and that's why we hook on to it or maybe it matches or mirrors that feeling we got as a child and we're used to those messages and that's why we believe it when it comes from this other outward source. Um, Something interesting I heard this week that I wanted to share here was I was reading this interview with Brené Brown and Oprah, and you know Brené always is talking about shame, but the way she put this I felt like was a little bit different than I had ever heard before, and it was just perfect for me to hear today about criticism or about perfectionism. Okay, here's what she said. Perfectionism is a defense mechanism against shame. If I look perfect, I can avoid or minimize shame, judgment, and blame. So if that's what perfectionism is, it's a defense mechanism against shame. I just, yeah, that really blew my mind when I read that today. Because that's what it felt like exactly to me. 
that this feeling I get when, you know, I look in the mirror and criticize myself, which thank goodness does not happen as many times now as it used to. Um, but it used to happen to me all the time. When I, when I feel that way, that's actually hiding some deeper shame that's underneath it, which, you know, is like obvious in a way, but I don't think I ever really thought of it. I just more thought that I should be perfect and then I'd be more lovable. I'd be more sexy. I'd be more desirable or whatever it was that I wanted that I thought like I could only get through being perfect. So yesterday, um, I wanted to tell this story about something that happened to me getting criticized by someone and and what I did with it. So this podcast, you know, we talk a lot about surviving trauma and what that looks like in day-to-day life. So I feel like this story is a good example of how do I move through the world as a survivor of trauma and how do I take care of myself when I hear that criticism from the outside. So I've been taking voice lessons for about a year now, maybe a little more than a year, and my son's been taking piano lessons. And so every once in a while, they'll have a recital. And it's just for the people that go to this one studio. And there's a lot of people that are a part of it. So they can all come with their families. And then the it's mostly children. The students will perform, right? And so it's, it's low key. You know, it's not some like Carnegie Hall. It's, you know, it's like kids are there playing a 30 second piece or less. So it's, it's very low key. And one of the reasons I started taking voice lessons, besides the fact that I really wanted to learn how to sing was because I knew how scary it was for me to sing in front of anybody. Like at first I could barely do it at all. It was just very terrifying for me to open up and share my voice with, with even my teacher back then. And so part of me taking voice lessons was to embrace that fear and try something new and get myself out of my comfort zone to try and connect with the music, try to connect with my body. Um, you know, it was just, it, it touched a lot of things besides the fact that I just wanted to do it. It also was, it just felt like it was part of my recovery to do that because it's it feels good to sing and it also helps me practice that courage muscle. So I'm not super excited to get up in front of a crowd and say stuff. I'm an introvert and I am okay being a teacher in front of students, but I get really nervous if I'm in front of, of a bunch of adults talking or if I have to go in front of people and sing. It's very scary. So, but you know, this is a low-key recital and I pushed myself to do it. So this is the second recital that we had. The first one went okay. Um, and this one, me and my son and I decided not to invite anybody else. The first time we had invited our, par- our my parents and that was awesome. They got to see us there. Um, but this time it was just him and me because I wasn't sure if we were really as prepared for our songs this time. And we weren't. I think last time we were more prepared and... Uh, but, you know, we did fine. We went there. We did our thing. There weren't any huge mess ups, like little mistakes here and there that were no big deal. Um, but I was super duper nervous when I was up there on stage and I had um, printed out the lyrics. I was singing How Far I'll Go from Moana, 
which is such a beautiful song. I love that. I had memorized the lyrics mostly, but there were still a couple lines that I was a little iffy on. I probably needed one more week to practice the song in reality, but I didn't have that. So I thought, well, I'm just going to do it anyway, imperfectly, right? That's the name of the game for doing this podcast and for my singing. And The name of the game is just to do it, be creative, do my thing. And I get so much out of that. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be time spent. That's on something special. I get up there on stage singing my song and I look at my music to try and get one of the lines and there were so many lights towards the stage. They were blinding, just like it says in the song. Um, They were blinding. I couldn't even see the paper at all. Luckily, I was able to remember most of the lyrics. It was not a problem, but it made me panic totally. And if you're panicking when you are singing a song, it's not going to sound as good. So as a singer, you can kind of sing with a regular voice and sound pretty if you're just singing with your throat. But if you're learning how to sing, not professionally, but taking lessons, you learn how to sing from your diaphragm. And that's a whole different ball of wax, right? That's a whole different game. And it I'm still learning how to do that. It takes me a lot of concentration to be able to do that. And so when I panicked because I couldn't see my music, I kind of went back into that like throat or head, maybe they call it head voice. I'm not sure what they call it. But um, so it wasn't as deep as I wanted it to be or as we were trying to make it, but my voice still sounded fine. I hit all the notes, you know, I sang the song and people seem to like it, you know. I, I know I'm not perfect and it, the point is not being perfect. I'm I'm a teacher. This is my place of just having fun and being creative. Um, so I wasn't really feeling hard on myself. I felt okay. Like I knew it wasn't perfect and, you know, whatever, life goes on. I'm glad I did it. I was giving myself a pat on the back. So I talked to a few people, you know, try to wish a couple people um, or tell them that they did well and, you know, spread some some positivity and having some cookies. And then uh, my son and I were about ready to leave and this old dude comes up uh, with a Hawaiian shirt on and he starts talking to me and about my performance And then all of a sudden I realized that he's saying something really critical and rude. And he was like telling me how I didn't, um, what did he say? You didn't let your voice out at all. You were too nervous, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, I guess he's a singer or something. I'm not sure. And it's like, all right, so I kind of listened to him. It took me a minute to realize that he was just being completely rude. Like, I didn't ask for his opinion about my performance. And <laughs> um, I left that conversation and immediately started to cry. And I left the place. Like, we were on our way out already, so no one saw me crying. But we walk out of there, and I'm feeling so incredibly triggered so sad. Uh, I get into my car and, you know, my son doesn't know I'm crying, um, but I get into the car and I put the keys in and I'm just like, like almost having a panic attack feeling like I'm crying and just like so sad. Like, oh my gosh, this guy was so critical. Wow. He really thought I was that bad, huh? I mean, wow. And 
the most parts of me, if we're talking about family systems, that's one of the types of therapy that I do, that we all are made up of these parts. Like most parts of me were that loving parent that was like, Erin, you did a great job. You did as best as you could. You're still learning. This is okay. You know, it doesn't have to be perfect. You are nervous. You're trying. You're trying to learn how to sing in front of people and not be so nervous. But that's hard, you know? And I was even giving myself credit too, because I mean, I am a survivor of trauma. This is not something that comes easily for me. I'm a person that came from an abusive household. I came from an abusive marriage. I was really a shell of a person six years ago. And I've crawled out of that and become a much more multifaceted individual. And I'm really proud of that. And yeah, I show up imperfectly to do things, but at least I'm showing up. Like, that's how I look at it. But then there was that little part of me still, maybe the little girl in me, that just was really sad, you know, that felt like I've felt this feeling before. I know what it's like when I try my best and it's not good enough for those people around me and they just keep harping on me and pushing me and expecting me to be better. And um, I didn't want to not recognize that part of me. Um, And I happened to have therapy yesterday after this whole thing. It just so happened that my therapist only had an appointment like 4 p.m. on this Saturday. And normally I do it earlier in the day. But so I went home, got on that therapy call, talked about some other things. And at the end, I did mention this man's criticism and I wanted to share that with you guys today about what my therapist said and what I did about it because, yeah, I could have just had her hold my hand and be like, of course, you know, it's okay. Like, it's okay that you're not perfect and blah, blah, blah. Like, that's always nice to hear someone validate that. But what she did was help me realize that this is an opportunity for me to know myself better to investigate that part of me that got so sad that almost felt like she was having a panic attack at getting criticized. Like to ask her, you know, what's going on there? What do you need to say? What do you, what have you been through? What, what are the feelings? So I was almost out of time at my therapy session. So she and I weren't able to do EMDR on that at that session. But I told her, you know, I think I'm going to try tapping on this situation um, when, after, you know, after I say goodbye, she's like, yeah, I think you should try that. That sounds like a really good plan. And, uh, I didn't do it until this morning, but, um, it totally worked. I mean, I sat there this morning, I went through the tapping and, um, I was able to start the routine where I tap on the pressure points. I'm sure you could look it up what those are or watch a video about it that, emotional freedom technique tapping. And I went through, you start with kind of, you know, taking deep breaths, feeling the man that taught me how to do it. You feel your heart, you take deep breaths into your heart, and then you start tapping while you say how you feel. And the first thing I kind of knew what to say was, you know, I'm not good enough. I feel like a failure. And I said that, and then it kind of leads to, okay, what now? What more? What more do you want to say about that? 
So I said that for a while and I repeated that for a while. And then it got to, you know, I'm not worth anybody's time. Um, I'm not worthy of love. I'm not good enough to get attention. Um, I'm not good enough to be loved. I'm only loved if I'm perfect, right? So those types of things. So I was saying those things that that part of me felt and tapping. And so it's supposed to help release emotions. I went through the cycle maybe five times and cry, I was crying, able to get that those feelings out. And then there's a turnaround after kind of I get my feelings out. We're supposed to kind of do a little turnaround on like, okay, now what's a positive here? So I did the turnaround and the turnaround was something like I'm actually more lovable or only truly lovable when I am imperfect. I'm actually more lovable when I make mistakes, when I'm human, um, or I'm I'm lovable to the people that are worthy of my love when I'm imperfect or something like that, you know? And so then I get to a better place about it. And I can tell that that worked because I cried, I got out my emotions. And because when I was done with that, all of a sudden I felt a kind of freedom in my day in the morning that I hadn't felt for a while. It's like it opened up a new space for me to be playful that I hadn't felt in a long time. And it's just interesting the way we never really know the effects of what we go through. So to wrap this all up, what I think is really interesting as a survivor of trauma is like we're going to keep going through our lives and we're going to be triggered by those people that are rude. Like, this guy obviously has some issues. It wasn't about me. He obviously is really critical of himself or who knows what was going on with him. I don't know. But I know that that wasn't about me and my performance. He was trying to, I don't know, get on a soapbox about something. And it really had nothing to do with me. So, like, not taking it personally is always good. But then what am I going to do with those triggers when I feel them? That's really the question now that I've learned more skills towards emotional intelligence. What am I going to do now? Okay, well, I have some tools now to help me. I could have asked my therapist yesterday if I really didn't know what to do. I could have processed with her and done the EMDR on this situation. I'm sure she would have let me. Um, I could have, you know, called another friend and talked about it. And I chose to use the emotional freedom technique, the tapping And that worked for me, you know, it's like, and it got me to a new place where I think I healed a little part of me that was crying out for attention, was crying out for love or whatever it is. And that's really amazing because I know that that's going to make me a more whole person as I move forward. And it's so much easier to go through life knowing that I don't take things personally, I can handle things, I can get through my emotions when they get difficult, and I can use this experience that's challenging to get me to a higher place emotionally. It doesn't have to break me down like I used to think that these kinds of things would do. Like I used to think if I was criticized, then that would like, you know, knock me down out of my game. 
but now it's like I can use that as an opportunity for personal growth and I believe in that. I believe that I can get stronger. So I hope that helped. I can't wait to hear if you want to share with me some type of criticism that you got from someone else and you were able to turn it around and use it to get to know yourself better. I would love to hear that inspiring story. So you can always find me on Instagram or you can leave me a voicemail. The number's coming up right after this. Bye-bye. You deserve a big high five and a smile in the mirror for showing up for yourself today. Thank you for your dedication to introspection and self-awareness because our personal evolution is what will make this world a better place. If you enjoyed the episode, please give me a five-star review and share it with a friend. And let me know if you want to be a guest to share how you are navigating intergenerational trauma in your life. You're welcome to join my free monthly goal-setting workshop on the first Wednesday of every month. Just DM me at iHeartsAaron.com.